0: I think we're good, so let's get going on the sermon. God help me. <laughs> we're going to do something here. I'm going to ask you to, and thanks for the clock, guys. I'm going to ask you to trust me on something because I'm going to take us to a place that's going to be a little, for some of us, no problem, but for some of us it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, a little difficult, a little tough even, okay? Uh, but, but I want you to trust me because the thing is if, if you... What I feel like the Lord wants to do is if you'll go with me on this little exercise, what'll happen is, is that you'll understand so much more deeply what we're talking about. You'll feel what this is so much more in this sort of almost extreme case of the problem we're going to be addressing today. In a way that you can then say, now how does this actually, how is this, that's how it happens in that person, but how is this happening in my life? And I believe having gone through this moment, having gone through this exercise, that you'll come out the other side and you'll be saying to yourself, oh, this, it makes something that may be fairly subtle in your heart right now. For some of you it's not, but for those its it is, it'll make it very real. Okay? So I want us to feel this sermon, not just hear it. I want us to get a hold of this, all right? So like I say, trust me on this, but I want you to close your eyes now. Okay? And I want you to imagine... God forbid, that you're an 18-year-old boy absolutely brimming over with hormones. I know some of you are laughing, some of you are saying, I will not go there, or I will not go back there, or whatever, but I just want you to hang in there for a second. And what I want you to do is, you're an 18-year-old young man, and hormones are just absolutely ravaging, raging inside, okay? Now... I want you to think about the culture in which this young boy lives, this young man lives. I want you to just picture yourself, you've just left your house, you're living on your own, you may be at college, you may be, you know, just new at college, or you're just living on your own and working and so on, but whatever, you're living on your own, and I want you to think about it. Now, the games that you play, the video games that you play, and the fantasy games and all that kind of stuff, whenever there's female characters, almost, just with some exceptions, but the vast majority of female characters that you see, are, um, shall we say, alluring. They're tempting. They're made in these fantastical ways, right, of all the things that would stir your hormones. I want you to think about the fact that you're on the Internet and you're looking at YouTubes and you're searching and you're doing various things, and there's all kinds of pop-ups that are happening all the time and there's all kinds of sites and there's all kinds of free stuff that's out there that is just, again, trying to pull you in you go to a movie and, and unless you just never go to a movie the chances are a large percentage of the movies that you're going to are likely having at <laughs> least one scene in that movie that is incredibly erotic stirring those emotions you watch television and the mores of the people that are being portrayed on television the sex is just completely casual if it means absolutely nothing and it's just absolutely just prevalent loose morals on the guys and the girls parts i want you to think about the commercials that you're watching in those television shows and the percentage of them that are specifically pun intended titillating. that's what they're made to be the print media billboards other things that you see you are surrounded you are absolutely living in a you are a young man with hormones that are raging and you are living in a sea of temptation that is calculated to arouse those hormones to excite those hormones to take you someplace else now just one more layer on this and, and, and then but you can keep your eyes closed but now I want you to realize too that unlike when most of us grew up the, the degree to which girls have become sexually aggressive guys too but the degree to which girls are not protecting themselves so much although in the real world they are a lot more than the media shows but the fact of the matter is, is girls have actually gone from protecting themselves to some degree they, they're moving towards the pole of actually being aggressors in sexual ways now keeping your eyes closed you're still that young man you're having this incredible sea of temptation in the fantasy world and in the real world. But you're a Christian now. And what you really want at the deepest place in your heart is to just do right by God. You just want to live a holy life. You want to do the things that He wants you to do. You want to take the strength that you're feeling and the, the way that He's growing you physically and mentally and And spiritually, and what you want to do is, is you just want to go after the things of God with everything you've got, and you just—that's everything that's in you wants to do that. Except that there's just this thing that just keeps coming up, where you know you can resist and you can resist and you can resist and you can resist successfully, but then there comes that moment in time at which you just you fail, and then you know you repent. And so you come back and you, and you resist and you resist and you're trying to do the things of God and you're trying to resist and you're trying to do the things of God and you're trying to resist and then you fail. And then you do it again. And then, you, you know, you're still resisting and you're still repenting and you still mean it, but, you know, all of a sudden we're getting up into the hundreds of times that you failed. And all of a sudden, you know, you go to a good church and your pastor tells you and people that you know that are older tell you that God loves you and that he, he forgives your sin and that he's taken care of it and washed it away and that, that you need, you know, that, and all of this stuff. And you know all the good theology about that you shouldn't be getting hung up on this in a certain way. I mean, you know, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it just feels hypocritical to ask God to forgive you yet again. And suddenly you find yourself in this almost in this existential crisis place. I just cannot get victory. And what I feel like is a failure. Do you feel it? I want to say to you as an 18-year-old filled with hormones, you feel like a failure. Good. Because now God can actually do something with you. As long as you're trying to do it some other way, He can't because you're trying to do it. I want you to just get a hold of where we're headed today. I want you to take, you're no longer that 18-year-old, you're you. But having felt what it feels like to get to a place where you're basically hopeless. I mean, you're still trying, you're not giving up, but, you know, it's just really tough. And I want you now to apply to your own lives and your own situation. Where's that happening in your life? when I say this there's about half the room that's gonna immediately know a place of failure the other half of the room eh, about half of those people are gonna have some sense of it but they don't think that where they fail is that bad so they have they don't really consider it to be sin let's just let's define sin properly now sin is whenever you're not trusting God and therefore doing things his way not yours wherever you do that You can be a very successful person who who doesn't have pornography problems, who doesn't have other issues and so on. You can be a very successful person who's, who's, who's done well financially, who's providing for their family well, who's doing all this kind of stuff. But if you'll really allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you at this moment, there is the possibility, and that's not always true, but there's the possibility that you know that there's times when God is asking you to trust Him more. And you don't. They just, you just have your reasons and you, and you marginalize that call and that leading. So whether you're on that end of the spectrum where it's fairly subtle what we're talking about here today but nonetheless real and there or whether you're on the spectrum to where the failure is much more obvious and it's much more clear that you feel like a failure. Wherever you are on that spectrum what we're going to do today is that we're going to We're going to so totally redefine how God looks at this thing that you won't be able to look at it the same way anymore. And when you do that, you're going to be able to enter into the things that God has made you to be in a way that is fulfilling and that is joyful, a way that you're being kept from right now. And you're going to be able to enter into the fullness that God intended always had for you, has for you right now, no matter what. Joy fulfillment, richness in Him. All the things you want. Now just with your eyes still closed, somebody's praying for us, whoever it is. Is is it is it Babette? Okay. So go ahead and pray for the sermon, Babette. Pray for another church.
1: Here today, we ask that you would be with Kurt and the word that you have deposited in him. May he be obedient to every uh, point that the spirit had been speaking and may you bring about a confirmation with signs following just as you did in your word in the new testament so that we might be freed for you have come to set the captive free and god i'd lift up a uh, tabernacle missionary baptist church in the inner city here in seattle that is on the front lines of the seattle Um, street culture, and we just ask that you give them the resources and the anointing by your spirit to move powerfully and bring your gospel to this uh, group of young people in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you, Lord. Wake up (laughs) some of you. John Yarkowski, you have to, Josh, would you elbow him? I know John's John's metabolism is, is hummingbird. It's hard enough for him just to sit. You know what I mean? But sit and close his eyes, he's gone. Okay. I hope you had a nice little time with dreams. All right. Love you, John. All right. Okay. Here's the passage that we're in. But remember what our series is, is empowered. And what we're talking about is how the Holy Spirit can move through us evermore to do his work through us, right? Right? It's not how you can do, be more powerful and how you can get the Holy Spirit to do things. It's how you can get to a place where the Holy Spirit can move through you and do His will and work. That's a very important distinction right there. Okay, we're trying to become clean vessels. Obviously, you can see where I might be going with that when I say that. So let's look at our, oh, that's a pretty color. Thank you guys for that. I don't know what's going on, but I'm sure we'll get it fixed, okay? Okay. Uh, it was now the 50th year in the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over a couple of places that I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce. Nor am I going to pronounce the next guy's name. Uh, was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest. At the time, at this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains will be made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places will be smooth. And then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. Now what we're doing is is we're really working on what does that mean to prepare the way of the Lord to bring up the valleys to bring down the mountains to make straight the crooked ways right what does that mean and when I say that, I want us to understand he says it's from Isaiah, so we need to go back and just take a quick look at Isaiah and understand that what we're talking about here is we're talking about the fact that there was the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, and then the two southern tribes. This is about 1,000 years before Jesus, but about 800 years after, before Jesus into the 700s, the ten northern tribes, because they were not trusting God, because they were not following him, by the way, I keep looking at the Gensels. It's so wonderful to have you guys here. Love you guys. Uh, they're still very much a part of our church, by the way. You still go to a men's group, so it's awesome. Uh, but anyway, the point is, uh, sorry about the rabbit trail. Chris Chandler keeps saying, he says, he says I like your preaching, but you want to all rabbit trails. And I said, yeah, I know. All right, so, but here's the point. The 10 northern tribes are wiped out because they're not trusting, obeying, following God. They trust, obey, follow other things. See? So they're wiped out. There's the two southern tribes. They have a nice object lesson just north of them. God says, you know what? You're not trusting obeying me either, so I'm going to take care of you now. So what he does is, is that he comes and he, he, he exiles them to Babylon. Okay? Now Babylon is roughly where... I'm afraid to hit this because I think it might screw it up. But Babylon is over here, and that's roughly where Iraq is. Okay? And so here's Jerusalem over here. They come over. They take in various battles. They end up taking the vast majority of the people over here into captivity, into Babylon. Right? Then, miraculously, only 70 years later, God makes a way back through a prophecy where he names a guy who wasn't even born at the time that he named him. And he says, this guy Cyrus is going to be the the emperor of, of Babylon at this point in time. Talk to him. He's going to let you come back. So sure enough, that's exactly what happens. They get to come back, and it's at that moment in time that Isaiah is prophesying that God will say, "Make a place in the wilderness." Okay. Now, when he does that, what he's doing is—is is it, it'd be roughly like this. This is the picture that he's trying to draw. You see this deserty place, right? And so there's all these hills and valleys. Just think if you had to just build a road in there. Think about it. It would be up and down and around and all over the place, right? It would be go all over. But then what God's saying is, build me a superhighway. See, that? look at how flat that is. See, make the high places low, the low places high you know, right, make the, st- the crooked places straight, so on. So, so here's what's being said now. The I- image is this, but here's this journey that we're on, okay? So we're walking on this journey, and, and well, let me, I'm sorry, let me do it this way. I want you to see that when we hear all of this, here's what we think, okay? We think what, what's being said here is repent and stop sinning so that the dark places of my life, the places of sin, the the evil is brought out, and so it stops, right? And these high things that I can't conquer, that I can't get over on, that they're brought low so that I can get above them, and that this crooked thing that is my sinful life is straightened out. Isn't that what we hear? When we hear Isaiah say that, don't, don't you hear all of this, right? Now, here's the phrase I want you to really get a hold of. Stop sinning. When we hear Isaiah saying, repent, what do we hear? Stop sinning. It turns out that's not actually what he's saying. We're going to take this and watch this. But what I want you to see right now is he says stop sinning. I want you to tell me in that entire passage, where does it say stop sinning? I know where it's inferred. I'm saying, where does it say, stop, stop sinning? Is it, then John went from place to place on both sides of Jordan, preaching that they should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Turn to God to be forgiven. That's what the repentance was about, to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John. He's a place in the wilderness. Prepare the way the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened. The rough places made smooth. And then all the people will see the salvation from God. Now, now, just tell me, good theology, people, that we are, right? Is it that you get straight, and then God can save? Because when you read Stop Sinning into there, that's exactly what you're saying about it theologically. You're saying, get perfect, get the sin out of your life, and then God can save you. That's not a savior. That's just somebody. you know, you get right, and I'll be with you. <laughs> right? That's a transactional deal, I guess, or whatever. Here's what a savior is. I've tried really hard, and I can't get right. I've tried really hard, and I've, I've, I've meant to, and I've intended to, and I, you know my heart, and I, what, what I would do to get right, but I just am not getting right, and I need help. You call for help from a Savior. See it? So actually, we have something quite different going on here, don't we? See, I, I want you to think about this. Here's what repentance means it means a biblical concept ranging from regret or remorse, from the Hebrew to pant, sigh, or to grieve, or to a complete change of mind or behavior. Now, here's what we say. Repent means to turn away from where we were going. The sin that we were doing, turn away from it and go back to God. But I want us to be really precise today so that we can get this better understanding. Here's what it's actually saying. Here's what repent means. It doesn't mean Turn from God and never, ever sin again, even though God will say to people, Jesus will say to people, repent and don't do it again. And I'm not saying this is any kind of an excuse whatsoever to ever sin. What what we're going after is, is understand these things properly so that you can focus on the thing that will actually help you become sinless or more sinless. I'm saying get your focus in the right place because here's what the focus of repentance is. Turn away from that which you were intending to do or did and are feeling remorse about, and you're turning away from that. Here's what repentance is not. A a man who would subscribe to the Playboy channel and then ask God for forgiveness every time he fell by watching it. Here's what repentance is. Ask God for forgiveness, and then shut the channel off. Right? I mean, do things. Don't, Don't plan on doing the sin for which you're asking God to forgive you. Because that's presumption, and it won't work. You have to mean, I don't want to do this, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes for me to get more or to, to sin less. Do you see it? Now, but again, where's the emphasis on repentance? Is it on not sinning? Or is it on turning from to God that he might forgive? That's where the emphasis was before, right, in our passage. Turn to God so that you're forgiven, so you can show that you're forgiven. You've asked him to forgive you, and what does he do when you ask him to forgive you? He forgives you. Really complicated stuff here. Right? I'm on this. See, here's what it means. See, watch. See, see. I'm walking on this path, and and, I'm, and I step up on this path, but there's obstacles in my way, and I'm and I'm doing this, and I and I walk here, and then I I climb here, and I'm I'm doing, and I'm and see, and I'm and I'm and then I I get to places I cannot get over. I got this crooked journey that's happening in my life, and I cannot get over it. Now. That's your problem, because it certainly wasn't the disciples' problems, right? When you think about Paul and John and Peter, these guys were not sinners, right? What did I say? Did I say something funny? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these guys, right, what we think is, is we think, well, they may have been sinners because everybody's a sinner. We get it, and there's still some flesh involved and so on. But, we, but they're not sinners like me, are they? Well, I just want to show you. I want to show you who Paul is. We've seen this before, but hang with me because we're going to get to another place today. Watch this. Here's Paul. I do not understand my own actions for for I do not do what I want and I do the very thing that I hate. Tell me what he's talking about. I can't tell you for certain what he's talking about. What I can tell you is that's what I do. I do the thing that I hate and I don't do the thing that I want to do. That's me, and it doesn't really matter what the sin is, because it's all of us somewhere, right? Now, what's Paul's solution to it? How does Paul handle this? How does, let me make it more clear, how does the Holy Spirit reveal to Paul how to handle it, how to think about it, so that he can be more where God wants him to be? Here's what he does. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I, I always whenever I see this, I always think about Dana Carvey, you know, or or Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, or Dana Carvey saying, could it be Satan? You know? And this sort of dualism inside of us, you know, I mean, isn't it just kind of a good excuse? Oh, Satan made me do that, but really it was me. See what I mean? I mean, we can get into that kind of funky little place. He's not trying to do that. Here's what he is trying to say. Paul is trying to say something. I'm a sinner. I have gone up to places in heaven that I'm not even allowed to talk about. And you would think if anybody could get this thing right, it would be me. I'm a disciplined man. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I can do this. That's who Paul is. And here's what Paul's saying to me. I couldn't do this. See it? It turns out I couldn't do it. I'm not saying don't try, and I'm not saying don't resist, and I'm not saying just give up. But what he's saying to me is he's telling me I learned something. What I learned actually, though, was that there's this old me that is the old nature that has old habits and old patterns and old desires. And then when I got saved, there's this incredible miracle that happens in that God has made a new me. Inside of me. That's the real me. When I die, the old me goes to dust or gets burned up or however it gets consumed. But it is no longer in play. And it is the new me, the one that God created, that is with him. And it turns out, says Paul, that it was the old me that was doing the sin. And it's not the new me. I'm going to show you this in even more detail. But here's what Paul says about it. The reason why there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is because follow me, listen to me, really listen hard to me right here. You're not the one that's sinning. It's sin that's in you, and it's not you. The you is the one that wants to do the things of God. You've got to make a bifurcation between those two different things, or you will always live in a sense of failure. Failure. Because if you want to meld those two things back together again, the fact of the matter is you're not holy. But what Paul is actually saying here is is that you are. By the way, that's Paul. Let's go to John. Here's how John says it. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What does that mean? Really complicated stuff. We're talking 601 classes here. Here's what he's saying. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we say that we have no sin, it's it's a lie. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, though, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, just understand what was said right there. Remember we talked about a spectrum, people that obviously know that they're in sin and people that really don't think they're in sin, they can't really find it. And here's what the Word is saying to you. Find it. Because there's a place where you're not trusting God and you're not really giving yourself over to His Lordship. And if you say that there isn't that place, then what the Word is saying is, is, well, then God may not be as big in your life as what you think that He is. Because if he was as big in his life as what he wants to be, you're going to find that every single person has this old nature that's still trying to pull them in another direction. Right? That's pretty good. John and Paul both tell me that they got the same problem I do. Somehow that makes me feel better. I remember when we were young, and and it was such a blessing to go out with people that had other teenagers. Do you remember that? you remember Right? Because you know you were you were like, you know, teenagers were consuming you and trying to parent them and stay ahead of the curve, you know what I mean? And it was like just maddening. And then you go out to dinner and they start talking about their kids and they hear the horrible things their kids are doing. You go, oh thank God. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's true, right? You know, I mean, my kids are just horrible. You know, they're all horrible. They're just nice to you, you know. Not me. Okay. Right? You know, it's not just Paul and John. That'd be two pretty good witnesses. But here's here's John saying, oh by the way, I didn't get to John all the way, sorry. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. Does that sound like Paul saying there's a new you? God's seed, God's nature, the new being. That person is not, the person that has been a new being is not able to sin because you've been born of God. You see what he's saying? There's the new you that does not sin and it cannot sin now do you want to make god out to be a liar by saying to him that you're a failure because of how much you fail because after all i mean that's pretty simple right you fail a lot you must be a failure and yet you make god out to be a liar when you say that because what he has declared about you is, is that you cannot sin when you've been made new you cannot sin in fact the way this is that's again john but here's peter you have been born again born again born again what's he talking about new nature You've been born again. Not of perishable seed, but imperishable. What's that mean? Doesn't sin. Doesn't die. With God, of God, God's, God's nature. Can God sin? Theoretically, maybe, but he doesn't, <laughs> right? I mean, no, he can't. No, yes, he can't. I don't know, whatever. But the bottom line is he doesn't. He's holy. He's made you, and he said, I've made you holy. Whether you know it or not. It's what I've done when you die and get free of all of this deception and all these lies, you will see the incredible thing that he has done in you. And I want to say that you will wish that you had known that before. Except that we'll never wish anything like that because we'll be in his presence and it'll be just so wonderful we'll forget about all that other garbage. But can I say, for us now, it's helpful for us to think, I would have regretted that I didn't live in what I was made to be. Right? Now, let's just keep going because we now have... We now have Paul telling us that it's not just us. We now have John telling us that there's a, there's a truth to be found. We now have Peter telling us there's a truth to be found. Here's the way the writer of Hebrews will say it. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourself. He's talking to a bunch of mature Christian believers. Yet I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again. Starting from square one, baby's melt. When you should have been on solid food long ago, milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways, don't really know who God is. Solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong. So come on, let's leave the preschool fingerprinting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. Now what is he telling us to do, to grow up? What's he saying to do? Is it stop sinning? No, the basic foundational truths are in place, turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust to God. Let me explain that to you. Calls it repentance from dead works in 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 a more literal translation. Repentance from dead works, here's what he means. I'm writing to a Jewish audience, and what you're doing is, is that you are thinking that when I sin, I've got to go make a sacrifice in the temple, I've got to do certain rituals, and then I'm forgiven. And he's saying that is a lie that never forgave you. What forgave you was Jesus Christ on the cross and all those sacrifices up until and before Jesus all pointed to Jesus. But now that there's a Jesus, there is no more sacrifice that can free you or that does anything. You have to point back to Christ. Every sin done before the cross points to the cross. Every sin done after the cross points to the cross. God who stands outside of time looked at you, knew you before the foundation of the world, looked at the whole of your life and said, every sin that you will commit How old are you? 50. 50. How many more years you got? How many more sin you think there's going to be in that 30 years? Yeah, let's say a little though, just for the heck of it, okay? (laughs) That too. All of it. All of it. All of it. You see what he's trying to say as he's going after? He's trying to say, you guys don't even get the cross yet. You guys don't even get forgiveness yet. Here's what you're wrapped up in. Oh my God, I fell into a valley because I sinned and then I got blocked from something and then I had to go in this crooked way and then, oh, I made this mistake. And what you're doing is you're spending all your time tripping and stumbling through life. And what he's trying to say is, do you sin? Yes, should you not sin? Absolutely, you should not sin. But do you? Will it happen? It's a lie in Christ to say that it won't. That is not to give you license to do. Right? Are we walking the right line here? You remember Paul talks about this stuff in Romans, and people come to me and say, so what you're saying is I should sin more so that God's grace can be better, right? Nonsense and bull, right? There's another word that goes with that, and I won't say it this time, but I would have. Okay? Because I want to kill it. Because I want to kill the thinking about it. Do you understand? I want to kill it so that it doesn't come up anymore. Or the way that the Hebrew writer of Hebrews is saying it is, I don't want you to be about salvation from self-help anymore. I don't want you, says Paul, who, oh foolish Galatians, how foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, meaning after God coming in the Spirit, forgiving you, making you new, cleansing you, after Him doing all of that, are you now going to become perfect by your own human effort? Are you? The whole point about coming to need a a Savior, the whole point about all the years before Christ was, try it any way you want. The most disciplined man on the face of the earth never got through life without screwing up. Pun intended. Do you hear it? And what's happening now is, is that what he's saying is, you're not going to get perfect that way. The more you try... Actually, we're going to find out in two seconds the worse it is for you. The worse it is for you. This is not to make license for sin. If, um, I know that somebody could take a clip of this and take me out of context and say, look what he's saying. It's called antinomianism, to be correct in theological terms about it. It means without the law. Okay? It means that they don't understand it correctly. And here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get us to understand something truly correctly. There is a law that's there. There is a thing that's there and everything else. And the bottom line is is Christ Jesus is the one. When we realize that we cannot do it, then we go to a Savior for help. And what does he do? He actually helps us. (laughs) All the sin throughout all time looks at Christ. And if we understand the cross perfectly, if we understand the cross correctly, you will never get into guilt and shame and backwater yourself. You will not take yourself and put yourself onto some tributary where you feel like you've disqualified yourself, where you feel like you've taken yourself out of play because after all, look at my life. When what God is trying to do is get you into the middle of the stream, full, 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 fledged, full rapids, full life. Do you see it? And let's just see it in our passage. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountains and hill will be made level. The curves will be straightened. And the rough places will be made smooth. Here's what it does not say. You need to fill the valleys. See, I'm doing this in my effort. See, I'm the one that needs to fill the valleys. I'm not saying there's no role that I have, but I'm the one that has to be doing this work. And and the more that I go on it, and the more that I do it, and the more exhausted I get, and the more that I can't do it, and finally I come to a place of saying I need help. So God, would you please help me? Where's the Holy Spirit? Uh, Taking a nap. Taking a nap, okay. (laughs) No, this way, this way. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, God. I didn't mean to tell you what to do. (laughs) God is the one who wants to come and make crooked, difficult, seemingly unhurtable valleys and depression and all. God is the one that wants to come and God is the one that wants to make it a superhighway for you. Now, he says superhighway, I said superhighway for you, but let's actually be careful. What does he actually say? For me. See, God says, I'm going to make the way. Look Look at how it says it. The valleys will be filled. That's not saying you fill the valleys. The curves will be straightened. And again, whose way is it? It's God's. Here's what's being said. I'm off in this place where I am in captivity and God is bringing me home and what he's doing is he's bringing me home but it's his way so that I can come to him his way. That's what's being said here. So here's the first part of our little outline and there's not a whole lot to go so don't worry. Don't focus on sin. When you focus on sin you get to the wrong place. We're going to come back to that in a second, but let me just say it. I really want to make this clear. Don't focus on sin. Don't focus on sin. Don't focus on sin. Why? Because God's not. Why? Because He knows what the cross is about. He actually does get it. He knows that it was all covered, that it was all taken care of, that it was all paid, that the consequences are over. It's been removed east from west. Sea, you know, as far as the sea, buried in the, you know, it's gone. Do you see it? What are you supposed to focus on then? What's right in the thing? Don't focus on sin. Focus on the fruit. Focus on ministering Christ to other people. What? When the crowds came to John for the baptism, he said, you Buddha snakes who you to flee God's coming wrath. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Now, here's what it does not say. Prove that you've repented, prove that, by the way that you live that you repented of your sin by never sinning again. We could read that in there, but that would be not reading the whole context. Because here's what he says lately. Here's how you prove that you're doing what God wants. The way that you do that is, don't just say to each other, we're safe, we're descendants of Abraham. I a Jew said, you know, I'm, I'm okay. We're Christians, I'm okay. That's not true. You're a Christian, and you're okay in him, but that doesn't mean there's not a journey to be had still. Right? But here's what he's saying. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can great children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, listen to this, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Judgment, that's what people who sin are afraid of, right? Judgment, right? Yes, every tree that sins will be cut down. Is that what it says? It doesn't, does it? Here's what it says. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. God's not, con- God's not concerned with the sin. He does want you to turn from that sin. It is impeding you. There are issues, right? But what he's asking you to do is bear good fruit. It goes on. The crowds ask, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one away. <laughs> if you have food, share. <laughs> Right? Now, these next ones, you can say, oh, well, this is kind of that negative thing of sin. See, even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. That's kind of like don't do something, right? But do you understand, when we're talking about sin, what we're talking about is not obeying and trusting God. That's what sin is. You can sin against your fellow brother in terms of harm by doing them harm, but you understand, when he says even these Even this way, what he's not saying is don't ever sin as in the way that we've been talking about it. What he's saying is just don't treat people poorly. (laughs) Right? Treat them well. Don't take more than what's due. Uh, What should we do, ask some soldiers? And Don replied, don't extort money or make false accusations. Be content with your pay. Don't take advantage of other people. See, don't do wrong by them. Do right by them. Bear good fruit. See? This is not new. This is what God's been saying all along. Way back then when they were all doing sacrifices and everything else and God was just about to go silent, he comes to them and he says, look, you guys have just gotten this thing. You've you've made it a religion. You've forgotten about the relationship part of it. So here, what can we bring the Lord? This is the Lord actually talking. What kind of offering should we give him? Should we bow before God with the offerings of yearling calves? He's sort of making fun of the way that the Jews are talking about it. Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sin? Is that what God wants? Right? You sin and now something bad's got to happen to you? How many people live in that moment? I sin, now something bad's got to happen. When something bad happens, now things are equaled out. No, oh people, the Lord has shown, has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Notice he didn't say anything about stop sinning. It's in there. You're not supposed to sin, right? He didn't say, and go ahead and keep on sinning. Right? That would be stupid. But do notice where his focus is. God's focus is not on your sin. When he looks at you, what does he see if you've accepted Christ? As far as your sin goes. What does he see? Christ's blood. Christ's blood covering it. That's what he sees. What else does he see? The new you that he made. That he's crazy about. In fact, in fact, what he says is, is he says, look, you're my masterpiece. I have created you new. <laughs> Does that sound like the verses of being made new? I've made you new in Christ Jesus so that you can do what? The good things that I planned for you long ago. Here's what Jesus is saying. Don't get hung up in the sin. That is just going to take you into the ditch. Get hung up on the goal. This way. No, not yet. For surely it is not angels hold it just a second watch this come up here thanks this is a perfect young man right never sin never does anything wrong okay okay let me actually introduce you to who I'm talking about dirty rotten filthy sinner okay all right now. all right now watch okay now when I'm right let's just say that he never made any mistakes no sin None of the obvious stuff that we're all talking about, that we all know what that means. And none of the unobvious stuff either, right? This is a guy who's perfect. And now when he comes and ministers to me, so he, he does a good thing for me, right? He ministers to me, all right? Now when he comes and ministers to me, what am I thinking? This is Mother Teresa. This is like Jesus again. This is this perfect person. Thank you, I want to just, want to here, go ahead, yeah, no, you're down, yeah. Thank you, I might be bringing it up again though. I I say this all the time, I say please don't call me pastor and here's why. Because I have this image in my head of some church down in the south that has thousands of people and has this room that is just absolutely gorgeous and there's no stains on the rugs and there's no problems and their text is never a problem. And the lighting is perfect and everything's perfect all the time. Everything's perfect. And there's this huge number of stairs that go way up into the sky and this great big massive pulpit that's all ornate and everything else. And this guy with perfectly coiffed hair and he's certainly not overweight. And you know what I mean? And when he speaks, he speaks, you know, perfectly. Never stumbles on a word. Always finishes his sentences. Amy Marshawn, if you're watching, I love you, okay? But you see it? He does everything perfectly, and I have this image of this woman being way down there, looking up at this picture and saying, oh my gosh, isn't he wonderful? I could never do that. And I want to provide a great contrast with you about how it is at this church with a pastor that can't complete a sentence and that stumbles over words continually and that is way overweight and that makes all kinds of mistakes and has done so personally, if you've known me, for over about 10 minutes. And what I want to do is I want to have somebody sitting in the... Sorry. You just don't understand. I mean, I know you do if you know me, but... This is so important to me. I want to have somebody sitting there looking at me and saying, you know what? If he can do it, (laughs) right? If he can do it, I think I can too. So I'm going to try. (laughs) Right? This whole perfection thing, it isn't helpful. In fact, even Christ was subjected to something for us. It is not angels that he helps. He helps us, offspring of Abraham, children of God. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Now, look what it just said. It says he has to become like us. And then where does God go to say that he has to become like us? Where does he go? He had to be tempted like we were. If God never dealt with our temptations in a real way, would he really know us? Could we really trust him? Would we really have hope? Here's what he does. Look, to make propitiation, he had to be a merciful and faithful high priest. He did pay for all of our sins. He did take care of them. He did take the consequences on himself. But because he suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. (laughs) He was tempted in that hour. My God, my God, if this cup can pass from me. He was tempted with women. He was tempted with all kinds of things. Satan came to him and said, hey, eat. You've been starving for 40 days. Have a bite. (laughs) He was tempted. Now, yeah, he didn't sin. Got it. There's the big difference between him and us. That's why he's our Savior. Otherwise, I'm my own Savior. Okay? So we get the difference. But the bottom line is, is here we are. He himself suffered when tempted so he could help us who were being tempted. And here's what I want to say. I stand before you as a sinner. I stand before you as a man who is capable of doing things that he hates. And I hate that, and I'm doing everything I can to get every part of that out of my life in every single way. And you may be just thinking obvious things like pornography and stuff, but I tell you, I'm thinking things like anger. I'm thinking things like frustration. I'm thinking all kinds of things that are in my life. It's not just simple, easy things. I'm telling you, there's all kinds of stuff that I'm dealing with in myself that I'm not happy with, that I hate, that's in me. I hate it. But because God has done something in me and taking me to another place, when I talk to somebody else who's also filled with something, even if it's not the exact same thing, I can comfort in that which I've been comforted. I can talk to them about what it means to be a new creature, what it means to be sinless, not able to even sin. And that brings a person hope. Because I'm given a meat right you see it because I've been tempted and fallen I can minister in that area in fact the way that God has to say it of course is we know that God causes everything to work together for those who are co- who love God and are called according to his purpose for them what does that mean God causes everything except for that one sin You know that sin that I do all the time, that sin that I'm on a couple of thousand? That one sin, he can't use that. Is that what it says? God causes most of the things in our life to work together for good. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. That's not to say that he meant you to sin. What it's to say is is that God is so huge that he takes our very failures and turns them into Fruit. Where did he want you focused again? My dad did this extraordinary thing when I was first learning how to drive. Best lesson I was ever taught. Probably needed a few more since I wasn't a very good driver. But uh, I was a very good driver. It's just that I had a lot of wrecks, okay? (laughs) I don't think you can say those two things at the same time, can you? You can't say you were a very good driver and that I had a lot of wrecks, right? I literally had like six wrecks before I got out of high school, okay? All right. What? intentional Intentional wrecks. Yeah, that was it. But, but here's, what, here's what my dad said when he was first teaching me how to drive. He said, here's the deal. Don't look at what you don't want to hit. If you look at it, you steer towards it. When a car is coming at you, if you look at it and the lights, you'll have a tendency to steer to it. You steer to whatever you're looking at. Here's what we're saying for today. If your attention as a minister of God, which is what we all are, which we're all called to if your attention is focused on the ditches and the failures and everything else where are you gonna go right but if you get your attention focused on God, focused on his calling, focused on the work that he has prepared since before, the foundation of the world for you to work on it, if you get your attention focused on the fact that it doesn't matter what your sin is, in fact God can use all of that to minister more effectively even to people, when you get to that place now you are focused on fruit, you are focused on God, you are focused on being who he wants you to be and that is a super highway right into his presence. Or to speak it the way that we're actually saying it, it's a superhighway for him to be able to go right through you to whoever he wants. Because you have not disqualified yourself and taking yourself out of, out of play because you feel like a hypocrite. Because you feel like a failure. Because you feel whatever it is other than what he's told you you are, which is a saint, which is sinless, which is his. With a calling and a purpose. By the way, I don't know what my calling is, Kurt. Yes, you do. Do you have a job? It's the people that you work with in your job. Do you have a job where you talk with people? It's those people. Do you have a life? Do you actually have people that you interact with at some point in time? Because that is your calling. And when you come to them vulnerably and transparently, when you come to them in the power of God and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, letting Him minister through you as a follow being, they know it ain't you because they know you. And then they get connected to God who can make them a superhighway too for his presence to come to yet someone else. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, take this message and impregnate us with it, that it would choke out all of the lies and deceptions, it would choke out all the lies and the pit of hell, and that what would be be existing instead would be the truth that sets us free, that brings us into full profit in you, If you are here and you don't know the Lord, all this sin thing may seem to you like a whole bunch to do about what? About nothing. You may not understand it right now. I'm just asking you understand that God loves you and that he's calling you to a life that you've never experienced, that you don't know about. And if you would simply say yes to him, he would take you lovingly in his arms and he would bring you into new places where, yeah, one of the things is you're going to start seeing what the sin really was and you're going to start walking past it too because it's going to be relegated to the ditches of your life that don't matter, and you're going to be placed on a high road, and you're going to start going right in the center of God. So I'm asking you, if you want that, right now is the perfect time to say, God, I want that in my life. Now, it's not just people that don't know him. It's all of us that have somehow gotten crooked. We've gotten crooked in our understanding. We've let a lie in a deception define life, define even God. And we will not do that anymore. We're asking you to bring your revelation into our hearts and to grow it up into fullness so that it becomes the reality of our life so that we are no longer focused on sin. The irony being when we do that, we sin less and less. It doesn't make it perfect, but it does make it a lot easier. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, make it easier for us. Get us focused on what you're focused on. Let us enter into it and let us start to feel the fullness and the joy and the incredibleness of what it is to minister, of what it is to have you minister through us. So reach down in front of you, would you, and grab that communion that's right in front of you and take that bottom cup and then that bottom cup just separate it out and there's a piece of bread in there just take that cup and take your just, just understand we lift this cup to you God and what we say is is that we understand in Jesus holy and precious name that in this cup is the broken body is the broken life, is the broken promises, is the broken dreams, is the broken hopes, is the brokenness that has been so much of our lives and we take that and we put it in that cup and we take your, take your finger and just go down in there and just break that thing yes I have broken that but here's what I did. I took all that brokenness and I allowed, I understood that Jesus took all that brokenness upon himself. Let in Jesus' holy and precious name, I would be made whole. New. New and whole. So take this cup together with an understanding of that you have been made new and whole. And now in Jesus' holy and precious name, the minute that that blood was shed on the cross, the minute that that blood came out of the piercing, the minute that that blood came out, every single thing that ever needed to be done for me in my life was done right there. It is not something that needs to be done in the future that's coming up. It was done 2,000 years ago, and it's just waiting for me to enter into. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we come before your throne. I come before your throne. And I pick up this cup in which is the life that you have for me. And I say, God, make that my life. that and that alone. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, Lord. Ushers, thank you for coming forward. We're moving quickly right now because I'm over, but I want to say, ponder for a moment. Ponder for a moment what God would have you do in terms of response at this moment. This offering is an opportunity to respond to Him. Respond accordingly. Trust Him. Trust Him, would you please? Try it now. He says, test me in it. Try Him and find out how good He really is trust him jesus holy and precious name take this offering god and do your will through it make this church a church that raises up ministers and equips us to go out and minister in the fullness of god in jesus holy and precious name
1: christ in me christ in me
0: christ in me the holy